Welcome to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. Get the inside scoop on how to help your child become successful in and out of school. As parents, we know that your child can sometimes forget to share the notes from their backpack. That's why we've launched this podcast just for you. Welcome back to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. I'm Keisha DeSandys-Lester. And I'm Helen Westmoreland, and we are your co-hosts. Yes, we are. Today, we're going to explore the unique challenges and opportunities facing rural schools. That's right, Keisha. I'm really looking forward to diving into this topic. Did you know that according to a recent report from the National School Boards Association, one in five students in the United States attends a rural school? And over 4 million of those students, or about half, attend high-poverty schools. We often hear about urban and suburban schools in our national media outlets, but today we are giving some focused time and attention to rural schools. Yes, Helen, it's good. I started out as a journalist in a rural area, and rural schools really need attention, too. I'm happy that today we have Michael Gonzalez, Executive Director of the Rural Schools Innovation Zone, or as he calls the zone, with us today. In his role, Mike is dedicated to eliminating the opportunity gap, creating vast post-secondary pathways, and building a model for rural education that has been applied in communities across the country. In Mike's 31 years in the field of education, he has served as a teacher, coach, and athletic director before spending 17 years as a principal. So he's well-versed in this. Mike is also a dad of three kids. Welcome, Mike, and thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you, guys. I'm excited to be here. Can you start by telling us a little bit about yourself and how you became so passionate about rural education? I know you are born and bred in the community that you live in. Yes, ma'am. I born and raised in a rural community, pre-K through 8 community, population of 612, and probably about 580 wow. of them were related to me. So you can only imagine, you know, one of those situations. <laughs> so I completely understand the situation that our parents and our students go through. Very vibrant mm-hmm. rural community, you know, pre-K through 8 school district did very well, still does very well academically. But unfortunately, we never pursued any kind of high school situation within our community. So we were bused 15 minutes away for our high school opportunities going forward, which at the time, the late 80s, I'm old. It was a situation (laughs) where a lot of our community members being a predominantly Hispanic culture, our parents didn't want to put their kids on a bus at that time. So I graduated at the time, the biggest cohort from Driscoll of 18. And only four of us graduated from high school out of those other 18 eighth graders that left. My first idea was to become a lawyer, make a little bit of money and make better of myself and realize that that wasn't the intent of the man upstairs to put me on this earth. It was to help guide and nurture and be a role model to our youth. So came back home after I graduated from college and started working in rural education. And I've been in small districts my entire life. That is wonderful. Well, thank you for the work you do. And it sounds like you are walking in your purpose, which is always wonderful to hear. Yes. So for our listeners who aren't that familiar with rural education, Mike, I'm wondering if you could just give us the big overview. What are some of the big opportunities and challenges? Because I know there aren't just challenges. There's great things about rural communities, too. Give us a little bit of that perspective. Very easy. So in rural education, we're at a fascinating, very interesting crossroads where tradition is meeting the opportunity. The challenge, Mm -hmm. we're often 
working with a lot fewer resources than resource being capacity, staff, funding, and those things. But what really excites me and the people that I work with the most is incredible untapped potential in our communities. And that's something that I've learned and appreciated in the last five years of the Rural School Innovation Zone. So here at the zone, I call it the zone, but here at the Rural School Innovation Zone, we're flipping these challenges and just turning it upside down. And what I mean by that, we're Mm -hmm. using innovative educational models, our strong community partnerships and our community pride to transform what rural education was to what it possibly can be. And we're seeing huge benefits of that. So it's about seeing the possibility in the impossible, really. So you talked a little bit about this, but schools around the country are facing some teacher shortages. So in the rural area, what is difficult for schools with staffing and how is the teacher shortage affecting your community and what schools are doing to address it? Akisha, the teacher shortage is a hard issue and it's hitting everybody in education, whether it be suburban, urban, rural situations. But we're trying to get creative. We're pulling our resources. We have five independent Mm. school districts that come together that compose the zone. We're building local partnerships to tackle this issue head on, right, with our local community colleges and our four-year institutions. What does it mean when you pull your resources? It means that we're sharing specialized teachers and our facilities. That's a big deal, especially with the lack of resources as far as funding is concerned. We're ensuring that every student across our five districts have access to high-quality education, regardless of where they're specifically from. So our kids for free get transported approximately the longest travel trip we have, I guess, is about an hour and 25 minutes. So we're not letting the distance Mm -hmm. be a barrier at all. So we're also looking at attracting talent from our backyard. So we're partnering with local colleges and even welcoming professionals from other professions to come and share their expertise. So Texas was really doing it big. We do a lot of things big here in Texas. So (laughs) yes, we're utilizing teacher incentive allotment. You know, teacher incentive allotment is a big recruiting tool for the Mm. Rural School Innovation Zone. We're bringing in about $1.7 million extra to our teachers' pockets this last coming school year. So it's been a big situation to retain and also to attract teachers to our rural areas. Our master teachers right now are receiving about a $28,000 bonus at the end of the year on top of their salary. So it's quite incentivizing when you start looking at that kind of situation. And we wouldn't have been able to do that because the rural area school districts don't have the capacity to really delve in deep. But pulling our resource together with all five superintendents and the school boards allowed us to be part of that teacher instead of allotment cohort C&D to incentivize our teachers for doing a fantastic job and keeping them within our school district. Awesome. It sounds like like as you mentioned, some pretty innovative approaches, finding the possible and the impossible. And I want to expand on that a little bit, Mike. Could you talk a little bit more about some of the examples and innovations and best practices that you're seeing in the zone with rural schools? Within the rural school innovation zone, some of the best practices that I've particularly seen includes tailoring our curriculum to our local industry needs and The collaboration between our school districts, because unfortunately in rural situations, when you have an algebra teacher, that's usually the entire math department. So when you start addressing curriculum needs within Mm. the math department, you're pretty much singling yourself out and talking yourself in a mirror. So pooling our resources is going to (laughs) allow us to utilize. Yes, it's a true statement, unfortunately. But when you have five rural school districts combining 
you know, even if it's just one math teacher per school district, five heads are better than one when trying to devise curriculum. So you take that to a CT situation or industry-based certification situation. Now we're pulling experts from around the area and the industry, which allows our kids to have ample opportunities to gain that extra certification and be more employable as they go forward. Because we can be very competitive in hiring a master electrician or a welder from the industry Mm -hmm. to come teach our kids those things. We have what we call the Rural School Innovation Zone Promise with our Grow Your Own Kids where once they graduate from one of our five school districts and they go receive their certification from a four-year institution, and should there be openings within the school districts, they have some priority points that will be given to them to give them a chance to come mm-hmm. back and be employed by the Rural School Innovation Zone and the five districts that comprise that. So again, a lot of those situations that were really bridging the educational gaps that we're seeing in rural ed because we're pulling our capacity and making it better and easier for our people. Yes. That's amazing. I just remember reporting on these issues. I live in the D.C. area, and I, after college, went to live in a rural area for reporting. And seeing the stark differences was access to not just education, but for other services as well. What practices are you doing to really help the social-emotional development of students in your schools? SEL is a big deal. When you start talking about kids and the situations that they endure, and me personally, I'm beyond using COVID as an excuse. Our kids are just yeah. in a situation right now where they need to be, a, for lack of a better term, here's a coach of me, right? They need to be a little bit tougher coming out. But I think the model that we have within the zone allows our kids a lot of support. For instance, this morning, I was talking to one of our college professors about dual credit students in general and some of the problems, issues that are coming up. Well, through the zone model and through the dual credit model and even P-TECH model, it's giving those kids an opportunity that should they struggle, we have a support system already built into our system within local mm-hmm. districts. Because let's be honest, yeah. if we all went away for school, two hours, one hour, whatever the situation is, you're going to hit a wall before it's all said and done. And it's usually around Thanksgiving break of your freshman year. But what happens when you come home and you eat mom's cooking? You probably don't want to go back to school and endure something brand new, right? right? Something different. So (laughs) I think we're impacting kids on the social, emotional learning situation in the zone because we have those mechanisms already built in to support our kids when they're hitting that wall at an early age. They're freshman, sophomore year of high school to know that they have an advocate within the zone or their own campus fighting for them or believing in them and able to achieve success, I think goes a long way. And I think that's one of the situations within any model, a rural ed model or mm-hmm. P-TECH or an early college high school model that people tend to forget about because that system, that mechanism of having someone in your corner is huge because as soon as yeah. you leave the confines of the brick and mortar of your educational institution, it becomes very difficult. It's very competitive. And we try to embed that in our kids to be competitive in all capacities because life's competitive. But at the same time, mm-hmm. they need a hug every once in a while. They need a pat on the back. Yes. And I think the mechanisms and the systems that we have in place within the zone and within other models for education have done a very good job in that situation. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to get better at it because you were seeing the success. The Rural School Innovation Zone has only been around for five years. We already only graduated our first cohort with the class of 23. Wow, but we're already great. seeing the benefits from our kids. You know, we have a specialized health science academy, Next Generation Medical Academy. We had seven kids graduate last year with EKG, phlebotomy, patient care tech, certified medical assistant situation, and they're being employed right away. And they're wow. part-time jobs, but 
we're getting those kids ready for the real world. And they're involved in health science programs, LVN, RN programs. So we're reaping the rewards and we're seeing the fruits of our labor. And to me, it's just going to get bigger and better. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's so important that you're doing these things because when you are the first or you're a pioneer, so to speak, you're out there doing these new things. But if you don't have that support, being able to sustain that and get through the tough times, because like you said, life is no easy road. And that is awesome that you are looking at it from all those different angles. I am also curious how we make more. Like, so I think you've given us some pretty good perspective about what you're doing in the Rural Innovation Zone. And I'm curious the extent to which you're in these national conversations about rural ed and what you're doing that you think, if I could have parents advocating (laughs) for this, this is what I would tell them to advocate for. Like this, to give you the space to Talk about some of those bigger things that you'd like to scale and have resources for. Well, unfortunately, Ms. Helen, Ms. Keisha, there's not enough time in this podcast for me to go on my soapbox. <laughs> for listeners in rural communities looking to create these similar opportunities for their kids, and maybe not just their kids, but their grandkids or nephews or nieces, I recommend in engaging with their local school boards. That's the first source mm-hmm. right there. And forming those community partnerships. Rural communities thrive on pride community pride and what they instill mm-hmm. and what's the biggest thing you have. Everybody talks about Friday night lights in Texas, right? But <laughs> it's amazing how much you see in a wide variety of situations, whether it be at the county livestock shows when they're showing their steers or presenting their barbecue pits because their grandpa did it in that same situation 30 or 40 years ago. So mm. you definitely need to embark on the community pride and start at the local boards, right? And talk to the principals and superintendents in that situation. And I think these steps are crucial in bringing about change because it starts with the community, it starts with the school district to really embark on this journey. I hate to put the Rural School Innovation Zone on a pedestal, but drawing inspiration from the zone and the zone model could be a starting point. I've had the pleasure and privilege of speaking about the zone nationally and regionally and around the state. And I tell everybody, to me, it's a pack and play situation. You know, you just got to have the right Mm. leadership in place to make it happen. It's about understanding the local needs, advocating for tailored educational approaches, right? Because you can't take Mm -hmm. what we're doing in the zone in deep South Texas and do the exact same model in Montana. That's a good but point. But the model yeah. itself and the concept itself can be replicated in any situation, you know, and that would be mm-hmm. the big recommendations, you know, insight I would give from somebody who's been doing it for the last five years and I'm passionate about it. I have a lot of energy giving back to our communities and being that person advocating for rural innovation, for lack of better terms. Yeah. Awesome. We have a lot of listeners who are advocates for equality in education. What would you most like PTA leaders and community advocates listening to be doing to support rural education? For PTA leaders, community advocates, anybody who really wants to take this forward, my message is pretty clear. You know, focus on creating equal opportunities in rural education for all. And sometimes I think that's where it gets missed, right? Because we start talking about athletics and dynamics of early college, high school and those things. But if you take the whole entire balanced student, the kid that's able to do those things, I think it's phenomenal. Mm-hmm. Initiatives like ours, like the Rural School Innovation Zone, need your support. They need people like Helen and Keisha and these podcasts to help us promote what we're doing. And doing it through collaboration and giving my EMO, my phone number out and asking, you know, how can we replicate this, Mike? Do you have a team that could come up here? And we love to share and host yeah. people all the time about what we're doing. And we're not saying yeah. we're doing it without any blunders. We're the first of its kind in the entire nation to put three independent school districts together. That's huge. 
That's got to take a lot of political capital, too. It's been fun, Michelle. I'm not going to lie to you. And yeah. I'll tell you this. I tell this to everybody. And my people will probably hate me for saying this. But if I knew <laughs> I was going to deal with the finance and politics of this job, I never would have taken it. I would have continued being a principal and just touched my campus, <laughs> right? But again, taking all that back, because those are my weaknesses. And everybody hates to work on their weaknesses, finances, and those things I don't like to deal with. But it's allowed me to grow. And I think it's allowed yeah. us to a situation where... We can take this model and what we're doing for kids and send it off to anybody else. And I think we have enough capacity right now with our superintendents and our local boards from the zone to help nurture and advise other groups, not only in our state or in our region, but around the nation should that happen. So, again, Mm -hmm. being a champion for program-specific needs to address what your communities want and what they want to foster, I think is vital in making a tangible difference in rural education, a big difference in your community. And if people can just understand that, I think we'd be in the right direction and going forward. Like, I don't know if Ms. Helen or Ms. Keisha read the stats about rural ed students. Rural ed is the backbone of education in the nation. So mm-hmm. we got to do something better and more effective yeah. and making sure that those kids are taken care of because those kids are going to move to D.C. before it's all said and done. That rural kid might be our next president. So right. why not do it right when we have them within our grasp and national organizations like the PTA and our local boards and, you know, our national administrative associations, I think can be impactful in this situation. Mm-hmm. And if we would just pull those resources and the capacity of all of our leaders, I think we could change the world one kid at a time. Hey. I hey. love it. Yes. First of all, thank you for everything you're doing. And sometimes I think that there's no better way to show what's possible and really advocate than the story, right? And you are not just Mike Gonzalez, you are a coach (laughs) Mike, I understand. Do you have any specific students or stories before we close out that you want to leave us with about any of the young people that you've worked with in the zone? This is, their stories with every situation. So it's hard for me to highlight one, but the one that gets me is one of my son's best friends, I give my phone number out to everybody. My phone number hasn't changed in 24 years or something like that. So (laughs) the young man calls me. I'm in transit. Of course, I'm in my truck as I normally am. And he calls and says, hey, sir, I'm at this interview you told me about. And there's 65 men here and they're all like older than I am. And I said, are you dressed for work? Are you dressed ready to impress? He said, yes, sir, I am. I got my boots on and I got everything and said, okay. I said, just hold on. So after lunch, he calls me. He says, I got the job. I said, well, phenomenal, fantastic. I said, how did that work out? I said, 65 guys. He said, sir, they asked if anybody had any kind of certifications, safety certifications. And I said, okay, so what did you do? He says, I pulled out my core certification Mm -hmm. card. So they moved me to a different line. I said, phenomenal. Now he's working to fulfill his dream of being an electrician. They're paying his tuition and his mileage. And he's still earning 40 hours of pay a week. Mm So it's incentivization Mm -hmm. there. And I think the zone, I think this model you know, giving our kids these opportunities. Again, I've been in education for 31 years. So there was always that division of the early college, you know, top 10% kid and then the traditional CTE mm-hmm. kid, you know, and mm-hmm. the same way between a band kid and an athlete, right? And nobody ever seemed mm-hmm. to cross those lines. But I think the zone is breaking those barriers. My son is a self-employed entrepreneur. He learned a skill and a trade mm-hmm. at Ignite Academy with Mr. Chapa and Miss Colby that has propelled him to pretty much be self-sufficient. So when you provide opportunities for kids, kids are going to take advantage of them because Mm -hmm. the class of 21, 
out of the top 30 kids that graduated from our three campuses, 22 of the 30 top 10 kids were all academy kids. So wow. we're breaking down those barriers of the traditional CTE and the early college high school or that smart kid, for lack of better terms. And we're just bashing those barriers and we're taking all those kids and we're just making something really, really good at them. And, and it's a team effort. It starts with my superintendents, to my local boards, to my principals, to my academy teachers, to the parents. I mean, it's you look at the zone employee list and you see Mike Gonzalez, that's it. But it's more than Mike. It's a huge team effort via text message or email or phone calls, whatever we got to go do mm -hmm. to make it work. The people I've surrounded myself with make it work. So I'm excited. Like I said, you can tell I, I apologize because I can go on forever about stuff like this. Do not apologize. No, this is, it's not just impactful, it's inspiring. Is there anything you would say to those people who might be listening, who are in rural communities, who want to make the type of change and impact that you have? What would you say to them? First and foremost, whenever you log into this podcast, whatever, my email and phone number has got to be somewhere. So just call me, you know, text me, email me, and we'd be more than happy to share resources. But if there's one thing I want your listeners to walk away with from this conversation, it's that the future of rural education is bright with a multitude, mm -hmm. a ton of possibilities at our fingertips. So through collaboration and efforts and innovative thinking from our leaders and that one champion, that local champion that wants to stand up for our kids, we can transform these educational landscapes. We can just change everything that's out there for our kids. And that's impactful. That's powerful. I want them to recognize the potential in rural education and go out and support initiatives. And I just had a conversation with a parent this morning about the lack of people who go out and vote for school board members and mm -hmm. bonds. So go yeah. out and support our initiatives. Go out and support the kids that are going to be our future. And let's start turning challenges into opportunities. Let's quit putting up that roadblock or that barrier that we can't do this because let's figure out a way. Why can't we go around the wall? Mm -hmm. Why do we have to go over the wall? Let's go through the wall. Let's That's just right. knock it down and go. That's right. So I love it. we're the future and it's bright. It's just a matter of somebody taking advantage of what we're doing for communities because you can take a million and five examples of rural educational districts that are doing extremely well, right? And I'm just thankful that you guys found me somehow. Well, thank you again, Mike, for joining us. Yes, ma'am. It's been a pleasure. It's been a pleasure. You mentioned your name and email. We'll be sure to put that on our show notes page. Is there a website for the Rural Innovation Zone or any other websites you want to be sure to plug? Yes, ma'am. It's www.theresiz.org. And there's a lot of little things that are there to go forward. Like I said, whatever we can do to promote everything we're doing and to help anybody else out do the same thing, we're there for you guys. There's a lot of technical assistance providers within our state that have helped us and transformed us that I know can put you in the right frame of mind to get stuff done. Awesome. I love okay. it. Thank, thank you. you again. Yes, ma'am. Thank you all. Thank you so much, Mike, for joining us today. And thank you for just the work that you do and your tenacity and all that you do, because I know even though it's not just you, it is not an easy task to keep going every day and just helping our youth have a bright future. And to our audience listening, thank you for joining us. And for more resources related to today's episode, check out notesfromthebackpack.com. Thanks for tuning in and join us next time. Thank you for tuning in to Notes from the Backpack, a PTA podcast. Be sure to follow us on social media at National PTA and online at pta.org forward slash backpack notes. <laughs>